turning once again, and this time more generally, to the question of invasion. I would observe that there has never been a period in all these long centuries of which we boast, when an absolute guarantee against invasion, still less against serious raids, could have been given to our people. In the days of Napoleon, the same wind which would have carried his transports across the channel might have driven away the blockading fleet. There was always the chance, and it is that chance which has excited and befooled the imaginations of many continental tyrants. Many are tales that are told. We are assured that novel methods will be adopted, and when we see the originality of malice, the ingenuity of aggression, which our enemy displays, we may certainly prepare ourselves for every kind of novel stratagem and every kind of brutal and treacherous manoeuvre. I think that no idea is so outlandish that it should not be considered and viewed with a searching, but at the same time, I hope, with a steady eye. We must never forget the solid assurances of sea power and those which belong to air power if it can be locally exercised. I have myself full confidence that if all do their duty, if nothing is neglected, and if the best arrangements are made, as they are being made, we shall prove ourselves once again able to defend our island home, to ride out a storm of war, and to outlive the menace of tyranny if necessary for years, if necessary, alone. At any rate, that is what we are going to try to do. That is the resolve of His Majesty's government, every man of them. That is the will of Parliament and the nation, the British Empire and the French Republic, linked together in their cause and in their need will defend to the death their native soil, aiding each other like good comrades to the utmost of their strength. Even though large tracts of Europe and many old and famous states have fallen and may fall into the grip of the Gestapo and the odious apparatus of a Nazi rule, we shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And if, which I do not for a moment believe, that this island, or a large part of it, were subjugated and starving, then our empire, beyond the seas, 
armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle until, in God's good time, the new world, with all his power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old. monster that I found there are no monsters a very good evening to you UK cop podcast episode nine brought to you in hushed tones apparently because I'm recording this at 2:22 in the morning. Wednesday the 10th of February and I'm doing so because apparently my boys are too big and grown up now daddy for naps so no naps are required so you shall remain on duty all day and you shall play puzzles and books and wrestling all day apparently so there is zero slot for me to record a podcast, so I'm here in the middle of the night and all is quiet on the night before Christmas. I better fade that out because even though that sounds really quiet to you, it sounds quite loud in this kitchen. I think that's like half the volume that I normally record it on, and because the house is so quiet. It just feels like it's booming around the whole building. So everyone is asleep. The children. Mrs. UK Cop Podcast is safely tucked away in bed. The loyal hound is curled up on the on the sofa. He's having a field day at the moment because he's normally ejected from the living room. Back into his bed in the kitchen uh, several hours prior to this normally but I've been getting things ready and setting up the studio slash kitchen so he he uh, yeah he's having a great time at the moment I think he there's a good moment earlier on when I'd, I'd gone up to take something upstairs to Mrs UK Got Podcast after a bath and close the, the kitchen door at first he looks over at me like oh god it's time he's sort of all comfy on the sofa got his bone thing that he's chewing on he's thinking oh yeah here we go he's going to kick me out of there we're going to go through the dance where I say go on there you go there you go then I walk a bit closer to him and then he thinks oh yeah no he's, he's, he's not fucking around I better better actually go but of course I didn't do any of that I just pulled the door to and walk towards the, the hallway door to go up to the stairs and I saw his little beady eye catch me as I walked past and I can tell he's thinking oh my god I'm getting away with it he doesn't know I'm here don't move freeze everyone hold still like I'm some kind of Tyrannosaurus Rex if he 
just remains exactly where he is. I won't detect him. And uh, I could almost see the glee on his face as I slipped upstairs. And he thought for a moment, maybe I've done it. Maybe today is the day I've pulled it off. And I've snuck my way onto the sofa. And here I shall remain until the morning. I have no idea what the audio quality is going to be like. I know the that intro music was really quiet, but it's the best I can do. And I'm trying not to whisper, because I don't really want to do a podcast like this all the way through. On the other hand, my voice carries, and um, I don't want to be waking anyone up. Least of all, uh, Mrs. UK Got Podcast, because I can't imagine that would be a particularly warm response to my to my podcasting at this time of the morning. She she knows that this is my current commitment, but I don't think she knows how late I'm actually starting this. Um, I did plan on starting a few hours ago, but by the time I'd pulled everything together and got ready to go, time just rolls on, doesn't it? And I had to do the essentials like, as you can probably hear, pour myself a whiskey. I have to say it feels very different doing a podcast at this time of day. I quite like it. I quite like this the stillness of the night to start talking about things and discussing ideas, etc. Because in the day when I when I'm doing podcasts when the when the boys were napping. I assume this is the normal now by the way. I, I don't I know that children do oscillate back and forth between Sometimes they want a daytime nap, sometimes they don't. But it seems to be that for the last week or so, they have said no, absolutely not. We're not, we're not napping in the day, and we shunted bedtime slightly earlier, and everything seems to be working well. So it it may go back, but this this may be how we're doing things moving forward. I, if it is, I shall have to address the. Um, the opening music because I, I, I can imagine you could barely hear that so um, so that's not going to work and the, the little outro song I do at the end I, I won't be able to do that this evening because I, that I like to do with the volume up and I like to speak at full volume that sort of thing um, that's the sort of note I want to, to leave everybody on so that I will I'll record tomorrow, I'd imagine. So, well, it will still be the same day. It will still, hopefully, we'll get this out on Wednesday the tenth, and then I'll just, I'll just bolt the, um, the, the outro with the music on uh, at the end. So it still lives on the same kind of energy. I fucking hate that word. <laughs> I hate that word. I hate people who use that word. I'm just feeling the. Oh, I've got good vibrations. Good vibrations for me. I mean, I'm on the same frequencies. Yeah, good vibe, man. Chill. Fuck off. Let me just take this jumper off two secs. Look, as a precautionary measure, I suppose if you can't hear me, you just have to crank your headphones right up. At least I'll be I'll be at this volume all the way through, so it's not like you're going to be pinging your headphones up and down. Or whatever. I'm sure you'll work it out.
I hope you like my Churchill on the way in. I love that speech. It's really weird actually doing that. I, I, the last, the last paragraph. Um, so everything from scroll up slightly. Everything from I have myself full confidence that if all do their duty, from that onwards, I know that fairly well. I can do the last half of that paragraph off the top of my head. But that was by far the hardest thing I've read at the start of one of these podcasts. And I think it's because of the significance of those words and the the historical context in which they were said. There's a gravity to them that I had severely underestimated them prior to me trying to read them. And of course, the other stuff I've read has been reasonably heavy as well. There was the Columbine one. There was, um, I suppose, the Rocky speech from last week wasn't. It's not particularly heavy, that one. Um, trying to think back to to other stuff that I've done. But as I remember it, it wasn't exactly insignificant stuff. Not not, not exactly stuff that was trivial. That's the, the kind of... The, oh, it was, wasn't there Dolce Decorum Est as well? Oh, stand by, stand by. I don't know if you picked that up, but the baby monitor is on in the background. So that may be something I have to go and deal with, but pause the podcast it shouldn't be too much of an interruption for you guys and girls listening where was i oh yeah dolce de Cormest. so that's a that's a reasonably heavy poem that's a really heavy poem actually uh, you would not say with such high zest to children ardent yeah it's pretty yeah it's pretty intense isn't it that one so but something about this reading reading churchill's words maybe it's the precision is so carefully crafted. Um, you can feel that this is a this is an eleventh, twelfth draft that you're reading. Um, it's so refined. It's so accurate. It's like a like a linguistic sniper rifle. Um, every sentence is just a headshot. And um, I think if you don't, I mean, of course, no one. No one can emulate the the cadence and rhythm of Churchill. I, I do my best hack impression, and to the uh, to the uninitiated, it, it 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 maybe sounds okay. But I listen to a lot of Churchill, and I am galaxies apart from his actual words. Um, it is now impossible to mimic that that rhythm, that cadence, that precision of his of his speech, and I think that's why it was so difficult to read. Um, but they are great words and well worth reading, and uh, and they will tie into something that we'll we'll discuss later on. So scrolling down the old list, then. I think the debrief is the um the way to go, isn't it? Sorry, something on my arm. What's that? Um, the debrief, yeah, it's been ticking over a fair old clip, like always. I mean, like it's always busy, isn't it? Every everyone is busy. Life is busy. Um, reasonably busy set. Um few decent shifts bits and bobs nothing of any particular note there is the um uh, i did a i did a bell returnee 
interview that I'm going to discuss as my pocket notebook entry today. And so, oh Jesus Christ, that's the mic. Um, so I won't I won't discuss that. But um, I did note uh, one shift down that I wanted to talk about. I was crewed up with this lad who's just come off the proactive team. Uh, it was in my department uh, prior to me joining. Actually, I came onto this team. He wasn't there. He'd gone off to the proactive team. That that the the particular variant of the team that he was on has folded, and it's um, it's being sort of relocated somewhere else under a different strand or sub. I don't know. I sort of tuned out after a while, but you know what it's like. The, so they've had to park him back on response for a while. Really good officer, um, and I've sort of slowly become good friends with him. Similar interests. He likes to gym and all that sort of stuff. So we get on pretty well. And um, I was crewed up with him for the first time. Um, and we'll call him, we'll have to give him a name for this, we'll call him Keith. We'll call him Keith. So we're out on routine patrols. And we're up right on the border of our force. And we're, we're milling along and, and chatting away. And all of a sudden, like, the get a hard right hand down and he veers off down a side road and I sort of do that thing where you you don't want to look like a total dick who's just missed something really obvious so I'm scanning the road back and forth the road that we're now on so we're on a main road right hand down onto a side road can't see anything of note and I don't really whip in my head around because then it looks like I haven't seen what he's seen. But after about 15 seconds of that, maybe it's a bit less, I sort of give up the ghost and say, um, you know, you've you seen something, mate. And he says, yeah, yeah, up here, that, that polo. Um, there's a polo about about three for cover ahead. And um, that's a good point, actually, when I think of it. I think... In this job, you've got to constantly fight the that egoic urge to pretend as though you know what's going on and hope that you can fill in the blanks later and that no one will know that you didn't know what was going on initially or that you had a you had a gap in your knowledge. I think the the most obvious example of that, or the or the um, the space within the job that you can practice that most routinely is with abbreviations and mnemonics so I remember this female Socko when I first joined up having a conversation with her and something had happened where we'd been we'd been working at a job and we were in an office and somebody else came in I think they were a detective or something I don't know this is years ago now I can't really remember but the detective says something, and you know, there's a. I'm new in, there's a suit there, I don't want to look like a dick. And they're chatting away, and they say some abbreviation that is integral to the conversation that us three are having. I'll be honest, I'm kind of a sidebar to this conversation, so I nod along. Anyway, the suit walks off, and I say to this uh, to this girl, we call her Alison, I say, uh, Alison, sorry, what? What, what is that, you know, whatever it was, DVQ or something, and she says, um, oh, it's this, did you not know that, I said, no, I, I didn't know that, 
said, look, mate, don't ever do that. Ask straight away. I do it all the time. She said something like, you know, I have four conversations a day where I say, what's that abbreviation? What does that stand for? I'd never heard of that team before. And it was such a good lesson. And it's a, it's a lesson that you can, you can, you can use it to, you can use it to reinforce a, a broader strategy. So you have to be ready to say in every second, sorry, I'm not quite following that. Can you help me out? Can you explain that to me? The abbreviations are such a useful tool for doing that because as you well know, if you're in the job and listening to this, the job is littered with abbreviations. I mean, there's a running joke, isn't there? You'll name a particular department, you'll say, oh yeah, AST or whatever they're called this week. Because departments, job roles, strands, they change name every other week to some other abbreviation that we all learn and then forget as the next one rolls in and still use the old one. I mean, I still... I still use a crime, I still, we still refer, we still have type codes in my force for a crime recording system that was ejected from the force about 12 years ago before I joined. And we still use those, still use those terms. So the whole thing's a mess. But anyway, coming back onto task, the, the, the point is that you, you have to be ready in every second to surrender the ego and say do you know what sorry mate i'm not following that can you can you help me out here what's that abbreviation how do i find that out i've never seen this form before um sorry mate never been to this station don't know what's going on where do i find or in my case uh keith what the hell have you seen in it mate because i'm not seeing it so anyway he says yeah this this polo and at this point, we're driving along and I'm thinking, fuck me, it's all going to be true. What everyone has said about this bloke, it's all going to be true. Because people have made comments to me when when he was coming back to the team. They said, oh yeah, Keith's a bit of a, bit of a thief taker, a bit of a bloodhound. Um, he's a, you know, a sheriff of the county sort of bloke. And yeah, you kind of take that stuff with a, with a big bucket of salt, don't you? Because... <laughs> things get said and um in uh in the in the great words of, of mr wayne it's not who i am underneath it's what i do that defines me so you, you have to you have to make judgments based on substance so i think yeah well we'll see what happens when keith rocks up and see see what the score is So we're after this polo. The polo takes a right or left, can't quite remember, but into an industrial estate. And this is about about eight o'clock in the evening, so it's dark at this time of year. And we pull in, and we're probably four or five seconds behind the polo. And we clock it parked off to the left, outside one particular unit. And then there's this other fella, about 50, sort of um, Eastern European looking, and then on the other side of the road to him, 
so the other side of the road to the polo in this industrial sort of set of units outside another unit there's about four or five blokes loading stuff on up onto a onto a lorry as we pull up Keith lights up the roof and I just don't know what the hell's going on um, I said what have we just pulled up here to I'm thinking has he does he has he got some intel on this area has it been on briefings that I've missed does he you know has he got somebody he knows that said have a look down here or watch out for this particular polo I'm basically saying at this point, mate, clue me in here because I am flying off instruments. He just turns around to me and says, I don't know. And he's not bullshitting me. He genuinely didn't know what, what we had. So we get out and start asking questions. And straight away, something is not right about this setup. The, the I mean, it looks like something out of Breaking Bad where you've got secluded area inside this industrial uh, park with these with these units you've got polo matey boy on one side outside of his car you've got big dog in the middle uh, in a sort of fur lined jacket and then you've got goons over on the other side loading stuff up it's really off now as it turns out on the surface of it, it all checks out. Big Dog in the middle, he owns the unit that was on our right-hand side where stuff was being loaded up from. And uh, he is loading up his, his, one of his workmen, who are the goons, are loading up his truck to, to, to take goods somewhere. Matey Boy in the polo reckons that he's lost his dog or the dog that belongs to Big Dog in the middle, and he was driving around looking for it. Now the reason Keith has gone after the polo is because he's seen the polos coming towards us down a side road. Keith's clocked it in his out of the corner of his eye, do a Yui in the road and head back up the road. So his account for that is, well, yeah, I'm looking for my dog or the dog that belongs to my friend who owns this unit and I knew it wouldn't have gone that far, so that's why I turned around at this particular point. No, okay, whatever. Now, the interesting bit is that Big Dog in the Middle is double known to police and he's known for all sorts of juicy shit. So he's got economic crime all over him, uh, modern day slavery, uh, uh, trafficking um, sex workers from Europe, proper stuff. And before we even got to that bit actually, before we even established its details, what put the balloon up for me straight away was that he was way too relaxed about the fact that there were two gavers in front of him asking him questions. He was totally chilled, totally calm, um, happy to give all his information, gave over a, a legit driving license, chatting away, do you want to come in, can I make you a drink, etc, etc. Now, 
if I'm a businessman and my workman loading up my van and I'm out in the road having a conversation with my friend who's looking for our dog yeah I know but if that's happening and two police bowl up light up the industrial unit and start asking me questions and asking me for ID I'm a little bit more put out than this bloke was he was so relaxed in our presence that he's he's evidently familiar with police interaction and more importantly he's familiar with with when he is and when he isn't in a posi- in a position where he's going to be incriminated um, and he knew in this situation he wasn't because we had a good sniff around everything checked out the jet transportation of goods everyone who was there checked out as employees etc etc um, so he was very comfortable in our presence so that for me was odd and then it turns out on checks he's got all this intel crawling all over him and that building um, which which we have of course added to um, but the reason I the reason I discuss this is is not not because of the event itself. It's just because excuse me, this whiskey's a bit lively. Good lord. There we go. Um, it was to discuss Keith himself. I don't know if you if the cops listening to this come across this, but you ever get coppers that you come across and just think, how are you doing that? How have you noticed that? How have you seen something so small? How have you stumbled into this? And I'll, I'll, just to be clear, there was another stop we did within the next couple of hours. Similar, not not similar circles in what we're actually presented with, but we stopped legit villains. And it wasn't like he's playing a numbers game. We didn't stop 100 cars. We stopped three or four. All of them were substantive stops. But when I'm out and about, being as, and I'm, if I'm doing a proactive patrol, my success rate is nowhere near that ratio. And I'm scanning and scouring and reading AMPR cameras. Mm, that was loud. Yeah, I'm scanning and scouring as much as the next person, but there are some officers that you come across who just appear to have a gift for this sort of thing, and um, yeah, fascinating to see and mildly infuriating because you think, whatever you're on, mate, I'll have two pints of that. It was, um, yeah, good to watch. I, I I really enjoy working with cops who can do this, and I I have to say, I'm I'm not one of them. Um, I don't have this this intuitive feel for you know sometimes it's called a copper's nose. You heard that expression? I suppose yeah, everyone's heard that expression. Um, even outside the job, I think I'd heard that expression. Um, I don't think I have that really. Um, the stuff that I think the stuff that I'm drawn to is much more systematic. It's um, learn this standard operating procedure learn this skill, this drill, 
learn this method, this technique, and you'll you'll be successful in this domain. Um, I suspect whatever it is that Keith has is not not teachable. Infuriating, really. But it's good to work with, and uh, and, and good for him. I love watching him. Um, what was the next bit I wanted to mention on the the degree? Oh yeah, this other job. So we go to um, me and my oppo for the day. We go to do this. Uh, it's a Nick for a domestic. What was it again? Oh yeah, breach of restraining order. So we go to this caravan in the middle of the night. About it's probably pretty around now actually, about three o'clock in the morning. And as we're pulling up to this caravan, we can't all the the plot that it's on, we can't drive up to the front door, so we have to go mobile and um trying to work out where the front door is etc because you know it's like in the dark you're stumbling around that sort of thing and that's actually what I wanted to talk about speaking of stumbling around so as we're approaching the front door I'm clocking that the the ground outside is all by torchlight of course there's no street lighting the ground outside is littered with shit benches piles of bricks um, there's a bucket and spade uh, wheelbarrow um, and the the fellow that we're going to nick he flashes violent assault police all the good stuff and it suddenly occurs to me this is a really bad octagon that we've got here if we're going to roll around with this guy because um, for non-police listeners to the podcast the the plan with this guy is to do is to get him out. We're we're never going in there. We want to we want to well no, I say never. We are going in, but that is a that is a weak plan B. Strong plan strong plan A is to get him out of that caravan, get him into space where we can dictate the pace of things. Um, we can we can we can exercise our two to one advantage because if you. If you just did a little bit of breakdown, I mean, there's a whole host of reasons you do not want to be going inside a caravan to arrest somebody who who is violent and assaults police, etc. But one of the I, the main one for me is particularly in a caravan, you're in that corridored space, so you've got the whole Leonidas effect where me and my colleague can't stand abreast we can't we can't exercise two to one force on him because we're going to be single file going in there which means essentially it's a one-on-one fight and it's it's probably the ratio is probably worse than that because if he's got weapons stowed in the caravan or if he he'll know where things are that could be utilized as weapons so we're, we're at a we're at a considerable disadvantage if we're going in because we're we're one on one and we don't know the internal terrain. So that's why we want him outside to do the arrest. So the, the primary objective, once the door knock goes on, is to get him to step outside. 
this is something we've, we've of course discussed back at the Nick and on the drive down there. But with that in mind, with all this shit that's outside the caravan, I'm thinking this is not going to work very well if it goes to the ground because there's, as I say, there's bricks, there's there's all kinds of stuff and there's, more importantly, I can't map it effectively. I can only see what's within the radius of my torchlight. And further to that, if... And we're thinking quite far ahead here, but if this goes to the ground, if we go if we go to a bundle, I can't really hold my torch properly. There's no there's no flood lighting, no street lighting, so we're going to be rolling around on the floor, not knowing what's there, and he may well be able to orientate himself more effectively than we can. Now these are all these are all contingencies, and and spoiler alert, as it happens. It was a perfectly peaceful arrest, as are, I have to say, 9 out of 10 that I do like this. The people who've broken restraining orders generally know that the gig's up and they're waiting for a knock at the door. So, it does go that way, but what I actually start doing before the door knock goes on, I give a, I stick my hand up in the air for my colleague to hang fire a second. I start moving some of this stuff out of the way, so slide a bench back and... Um, I chuck a load of bricks further away from the front door and sort of create a space for us to to do the necessary in. And um, it just speaks to something that I think I mentioned on a previous podcast, that policing is often an exercise in creativity. It's a really simple uh, example, but I think it still speaks to the point. That decision that I made and that... Um, my colleague made with me once I relayed my concern to him outside the caravan door there's no training for that there's no piece of legislation, there's no power, there's no policy, there's no skill or drill you can do that will assist you in identifying a hazardous environment for having a physical confrontation with somebody and then teach you how to remedy that, i.e. start lobbing the benches and bricks away from the door. It's something that you have to, you have to, to use a, a really policey phrase, spin the wheel in the moment. And to, to think up a kind of, what we call a, a sufficing solution, I'll come back to the word sufficing in, the mo- in a moment, um, to think of a sufficing solution is a creative exercise. It's not. It's not strictly analytical. The analysis is the identification of the problem. The problem is we've got shit terrain here to be fighting with somebody. If it goes that way, the creative element is how do we remedy that? Start throwing stuff out of the way. I recognise that it's a basic example, but I just I'll try where I can to. Th- thread in examples of things I've I've stated previously to to reinforce the point if I can and this I think is one of them and um, it's an interesting point that I wasn't planning on discussing but um, I thought of it as I was saying uh, sufficing solution um, 
when we're problem solving in any capacity we can have two different types of strategy for that problem solving we can have a sufficing strategy or a maximizing strategy or maximal strategy so the maximal strategy to keep it within this example would have been to clear 30 foot of space away from that caravan door to well, let's just go whole hog fuck it have a full containment on have five more officers have impasse overhead have um, a I don't know a PSU contingency that would have been a maximising strategy or maximal strategy for the problem of there is a male who needs to be arrested and the environment within which we need to arrest him is going to be difficult to navigate if physical confrontation occurs but of course practically speaking that's impossible so what we have to do is to develop a sufficing solution a sufficing strategy which is to say that the strategy that we're putting forward will suffice to solve the problem even though it's it's not maximal it's not it's not what we would do in an ideal world um, policing is seldom seldom about developing maximizing solutions because when you start doing that you will you will run you will run head first into the blockades of time restriction budgetary restriction proportionality restrictions um, very rarely will you be will you be making a decision with a maximizing strategy in play it's going to be usually actually almost always a sufficing strategy so that's what I want to say about that that caravan and policing being an exercise in, in creativity next on the list I want to talk about not not something specific to me from this set but postcodes um, postcodes is the note to uh, to remind myself and it's with reference to the the stabbings that have occurred in in Croydon in the Met um, so I took this from a from a headline if you if you're not aware of this this incident this essentially sums it up uh, murder investigation from the Guardian murder investigation launched after spate of stabbings in Croydon Met police say one man killed and at least nine injured in a series of isolated incidents on Friday night. <laughs> First thing, um, I don't know who on earth the um, that article thinks it's kidding, or that if that is what the Met have said, who they think they're kidding. These these are not isolated incidents. That is that is uh, in the great words of Shakespeare, bullshit. Um, they are not isolated incidents. And I, by the way, I've got no inside information. I've just read the news. They're not isolated incidents. In, in, my, in my humble opinion, I stand to be corrected. Nine people stabbed in one borough. Do me a favour. Anyway. I want to discuss this to uh, just, just make one short observation. And that is that you will hear when when stuff like this happens, when you get 
gang violence of this magnitude, you will hear the phrase postcode wars. Hence why my, my note to remind myself is, is postcodes. We, we really need to be careful about how we how we discuss this this problem, how we how we frame this. Uh, we need to manage the optics of statements like postcode wars. I've, in my experience, it's often said with a with a nod to trivialise the the motives and actions of those involved. So it's to to caricature it would be something like uh, killing each other over over a postcode over over roads. How, how fucking stupid can you be? Um, to to think this way is to severely misunderstand the human animal. And if you're making that logical, if you're making that error in logic, you you will almost always draw... No, fuck it, let's go for it. You will always draw the wrong conclusions. And I think the people who look at this, who look at the problem of inter-gang and intra-gang violence and and trivialize the the motives and the cause the the causal reasoning of those involved uh, and and play it down to the the, the simple idiocy of uh, of people who've been who've been conned into thinking that their their postcode means something uh, to the degree that they're willing to murder on behalf of it um, this is a this is a dangerous idea. Um, this is a it's a dangerous perspective, um, and it's considerably misinformed. Whenever we're thinking about um, a social occurrence like this, or whenever we're thinking about social occurrences in general, the first flag to go in the ground must be the point where we view the problem as human as as animals behaving in the world we often view the human and the activities of the human as something abstract from animal behavior this is wrong we are a complicated animal but we are an animal nonetheless and therefore we are we are receptive to the evolutionary drives of all other animals. Now, we may res- we may respond in different way or different ways. Our evolutionary drives may push us in different directions, but they are still there and they do still underpin our behaviour. And that is precisely what is happening here. We are a territorial animal. We are a we are a boundary producing machine. It offered us evolutionary advantages to clearly demarcate our our areas of dominance uh, geographically. So it was an evolutionary advantage for our ancestors to say, at this point in the sand, 
this is ours, and we will defend this. Up to this line in the sand, we will defend. And there's a whole host of uh, of reasons that plug into that way of thinking. Um, it may be because there are resources within there, um, it, uh, within that within that demarcation. It may be that um, there's a historical or traditional significance to the to the land within that within that geographic area. Uh, all of these things provide. Uh, evolutionary advantages and therefore uh, by extension they um, they increase the statistical likelihood of the genes that did these things being propagated that's a long sentence I hope that makes sense um, what you're seeing from gangs who are willing to die for their postcode uh, is you're seeing that 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 natural mechanism that has evolved over I know the figure bounces up and down but somewhere between a hundred hundred and fifty two hundred thousand years um, well in fact actually no that's wrong isn't it because that we we become territorial long before we become human so it's far it's far older uh, than the than the human species um, it's it's coded to us um, to to create boundaries and defend them fiercely. Uh, think about, for example, if somebody enters your home, we consider it not only uh, a legal violation, but uh, it's a violation of the uh, of the most serious moral kind because. It's your, we, we have a phrase for it, don't we, in this country? Um, an Englishman's home is his castle. Uh, there's something sacred about the, about the home. Uh, now, the home is the, um, is the set of boundaries, albeit uh, small, particularly in, in, in my case, uh, modest, but they are still fixed boundaries uh, within which we are the supreme leaders. We, we, we dictate the events that occur in this space it is ours um, and there is something there is something integral to the human experience within that process um, it is something that uh, all people it seems uh, long for uh, to have something of their own um, when you see a 42 year old adult living in their childhood bedroom something is amiss there we, we all we all intuit that something has something has malfunctioned in the uh, in the raising or development of this individual because they're they're living at home in their forties. So, it is a perfectly natural thing for us to demarcate borders. Now, the difference being that most people demarcate borders at the edge of their at the edge of their home address um, they might have uh, you know particular affiliation to their to their local town uh, country is a, is, is a popular one although that that gets confused and maligned and as you you slip into a whole host of other other discussions that we needn't needn't bother with here the point is 
um, that the the postcode bears a significance to these people in the same way that the boundary at your front door bears a significance to you. Um, if somebody was to come into your home and threaten the welfare of you, your family, your children, your parents, uh, I would I would be confident in saying that you would feel justified in using violence against that individual. Now, I'm of course not condoning the uh, the violence that's being initiated here um, in these in these stabbings and 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 the murder of this one poor individual. But what we can't do is is is, is adopt a reductionist standpoint here. We can't simply say that uh, the people involved in this are just idiots who need to get over their postcode um, and 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 learn to realize like our civilized human beings that it doesn't really mean anything uh, it's just a series of letters in geographical space well actually uh, if we adopt that approach nothing really means anything at all uh, there's n there's no sense in uh, um, uh, Pride in where you, uh, pride in where you live, or the things things you own, uh, or your your town or your nation. These th these things then, by that logic, make no sense. The real question is, why do these young people feel an affiliation towards their postcode as opposed to all the things I've I've mentioned? Now, that is a much more complicated problem. Um, well, actually, I don't know if it is a more complicated problem. Um, what well, I suppose what I mean is I don't have the data for what I for what I've what I believe based on my own experience and so I'm reluctant to be prescriptive about this. Um, in my experience, the people who engage in this sort of behaviour, they have no family. their home uh, the boundaries there they mean nothing uh, they, they, they're given nothing by their families um, and as a consequence of that they feel no sense of honour uh, in respect to their families and they feel no sense of shame uh, when they do things that if I were to do uh, would deeply shame my family and would would be a um, a strong mitigating factor in my in my weighing of the decision of whether or not to go ahead and do uh, do X act. Um, now, you, there's there is a further tripwire here in that I I'm not suggesting that these people are a are purely a consequence of uh, of bad parenting bad families uh, poor value systems um, at, at a certain point we have to draw a moral line and say in spite of what a person has endured we still need to find them if only for the for the health of uh, our, our wider societal consciousness or uh, is that the right word? Wider societal conscience. Uh, we need to we need to make judgments about their behaviour. We further than that, we need to we need to condemn their 
their behavior, which I think is, of course, the, the obvious response here. Um, this, this is one of the instances where I think the word uh, that's become a sort of over, overused uh, trope now, uh, the word systemic, think that is an appropriate word what 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 you have in these in these families is, is a systemic problem um, where the the young people that feel no affiliation to their family go on to have families in the technical biological sense of the word and produce precisely the same dynamic as the one they were raised in and therefore the problem extends through the next generation um, I, I don't know how to to fix that. Um, if you could, if you could plug in a different value structure into those families, um, if if at birth you could insert a different code uh, into the child to say, this is actually what you want to be doing with with the family that you raise, with the children that you have, then perhaps you would have a chance at uh, at correcting this phenomena. Unfortunately, however. We can't do that, and um, the the code that is inputted is is the code of the people um, that, that that we've been discussing that that, that have no value uh, for for family that feel no sense of shame and honour or or what I should say actually more no that's that's wrong that's wrong they do feel a sense of shame and honour but they they graft that on to the gang. To which they become a member that becomes a kind of surrogate family for them that that postcode around which the gang is orientated that that entity steps in and fills a kind of uh, a, a warped function uh, like, a, a, like a, a demented surrogate family for these for these individuals um, we're just about to hit the hour mark, guys. I'm going to take a brief break. Um, that was it on the postcode thing. I just wanted to to mention that it's it's a problem we we have to understand through the correct optic. Otherwise, we 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 can't we can't have a conversation about this. Otherwise, I know it cuts at an hour. I'm going to take a brief break and I'll be back with you. And we're back in the room. Sorry about that. Need to take a brief break and refill the old whiskey. Quick comfort break, said hello to the dog, the normal stuff. The next point on the agenda for today, ladies and gents, boys and girls, everything in between, is actually a listener question. It's not something I routinely do, but I got a question from a lady called Nicola. Nicola, hello, thank you for your question, and I won't use your surname at any point. I don't even think your surname is on your you're on your Instagram, but either way, we'll keep it anonymous. I, I hope you're okay with using me using your first name of Nicola. If you're not, do let me know. I'll redact the podcast. Um, Nicola asks, I'd be interested to know if your experience of officers' affiliation with violence was gender-specific, in parentheses, any female officers who felt the same, and if this was developed as you have progressed through your career and experienced more and more stressful situations at work. So first of all, Nicola, 
Thank you for the question, or questions, because there's, there's two questions in play here. Both of them are really interesting. I started writing a reply to you, and it got to, you know the point in Instagram where it won't let you, won't let you reply? It's like two, it's, you get an error, make your message too long. And I thought, actually, this is such an interesting point that I'll, I'll discuss it, uh, as it were, live on here. Uh, I have to say, it's not something I've ever thought about before, and I think that's why it interested me so much. Uh, both both questions, in fact. So, with regards to the first question, I'd be interested to know if your experience of off- officers' affiliation with violence was gender-specific. Now, for reference, uh, I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Nicola, that you're referencing uh, the podcast wherein I discussed violence, and um, this is something that uh, I myself... Um, this is it's difficult to get into this without 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 doing that whole podcast again um but th- let's phrase it a different way um physical confrontation is something that uh i enjoy and lots of other colleagues that i work with uh, enjoy now i really don't want to outline that whole podcast here um, the, the the point is, uh, if you, if you if you are experiencing any sort of recoil from what I've just said, I really urge you to go and listen to that podcast because I'm I'm not saying uh, that I and my colleagues are crusading around uh, looking to use use force against people to use violence against people. That's that's not what I'm saying. Um, my my primary commitment is to being a a moral and decent person. Uh, it just so happens that when uh, within that moral framework I am I am required or justified in using force, uh, it's something that I, I that, that I enjoy doing, um, and uh, it, it's it's something that I even feel uh, slightly uncomfortable saying, um, and I and I I hope I I do a reasonable job in that podcast of outlining why. Uh, I, I can find a, uh, an ethical uh, conclusion uh, or, or an ethical resolution uh, to the to the to the, the two uh, seemingly competing agendas of being a person who enjoys violence, but also wants to be a moral decent person. Uh, it's probably the most personal podcast that I've done, um, and uh, so as as I say, I would. If you feel a sort of uh, lurching away from from the headphones at that point, um, I'd go and at the point at which I've I just said what I said, um, I'd really urge you to go and listen to that podcast and I and I I lay out the rationale there. But that is the question that yeah, that is the podcast I believe that Nicola is referencing. And the short answer is. Uh, let me just get this right because I'll make sure I'm flipping the genders correctly. I'd be interested to know if your experience of officers' affiliation with violence was gender specific. The short answer is yes. Absolutely. I don't know of any female officers that feel the way I do. And that several, lots of my male colleagues feel. I suppose it's important, though, to clarify exactly what we're asking here. Um, I am making the assumption that by affiliation you mean um, an active enjoyment, um, 
a uh, uh, that that a person might cite that as their reason for for doing the job. Yeah, I like I like the hands-on stuff. I like the um, uh, I like the confrontational element of of policing. I know lots of male officers who say that. Don't know any females that do. Now, some major caveats here. Uh, I'm just one police officer in one county with one set of experiences. I'm absolutely sure that there are females out there who feel precisely the same way as I do. Uh, and my, my male colleagues and friends do. Secondly, um, I want to be absolutely clear that um, I have never... I've never seen... Ah, actually, that's not quite true. <laughs> In the main, uh, I have... Um, I have not seen uh, female officers who are unwilling, uh, incapable uh, uh, of using of using force when they when they need to, and um, the the uh, the instances that I have seen uh, where force is not being deployed and it is required uh, that is not gender specific at all. I've, I've seen I've seen as many male officers make that error as female officers so I'm, I'm not I'm certainly not saying that females are um, are hesitant to use violence to the point where uh, inaction is unjustifiable that is that is not what I'm saying at all I work with lots of female officers and they are more than comfortable more than capable going hands-on uh, and getting involved with people using force in exactly the same way that I do and my other male colleagues do uh, who who I I know uh, take an active enjoyment in in that process, um, and it could of course also be the reason. Uh, it could it could also be uh, be a factor here that my female colleagues don't feel they're able to express that sort of thing. Um, and on the note of expression, you see how this is sort of a bird's nest of interesting ideas. On the note of expression. Uh, something I, I should have mentioned, maybe I do mention, I can't quite remember, I should have mentioned in that original podcast that no one, absolutely no one, is walking back into the nick or back to the police car high-fiving and talking about how fun that violence was. No one is saying that. Um, it's something that is barely talked about. I probably had five, six, seven conversations about this subject um, and it has almost always been done in a hyper private environment where I'm with people that I trust it's said discreetly uh, it's said with with sort of maximal brevity it's I don't know anyone uh, that is sort of uh, lauding this fact over over people saying oh, yeah, I love this I love I love I love physical confrontation, I love violence. I don't know anyone, I don't know any officers who, who say that, male or female. Um, but what I would say is that if they're, 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 I'm sure there are female officers who feel that way. I just happen not to have met them. And I, I just wish to underline that um, I work with tens of female officers that are across my team uh, it's broadly split 
uh, it's probably it's probably 80 20 across my across my entire team uh, female to male uh, sorry male at 80 female at 20 and um, there is no disparity in in the capability of using of using force now of course there are there are there are impact factors statistically speaking females smaller not as strong as 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 males um that and statistically speaking males commit a disproportionate amount of crime particularly um uh, violent crime which of course is the most which of course is most likely to be uh combated with with force so there is an impact factor uh discussion there but it's not not a rabbit hole that i'm going to dive down at this particular moment um I hope that answers your first question. And the second question, uh, has this developed as you progress through your career and experience more and more stressful situations at work? Uh, no, no, it hasn't. Um, I think a more accurate description of what's happened is it's it provides a sense of realisation. Um, I think this, the enjoyment for the... I do, even I recoil every time I use that word. I almost need better language to describe this. Um, but my uh, affiliation, the word you use, Nicola, is, is a pretty good word, actually. My affiliation for violence and my, my comfortability, maybe that's a better word, my comfortability with violence is not something I feel that's developed or been stewarded by the job itself. Uh, it's much more the case that the job has provided a forum within which that affiliation can be recognized. Uh, I remember the f in the early stages of having physical confrontations with people, realizing that there's something here that um, my body is reacting to, that my mind, my psychology is reacting to, um, that is positive for me. That is, um, I, uh, I feel that this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, I, I feel perfectly natural um, when I'm moving against a tide of people who are trying to get past me, you know, going into a pub or whatever, and everyone's trying to get out, and I'm trying to claw my way in or trying to break down a door to get to somebody inside who's saying they're going to kill anyone who enters that room. That, that it's something that I, I feel, I feel comfortable doing. I feel this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and yeah, policing, I think, has simply provided a, a space that, um, because of course you, you wouldn't, this is not something that you would, you would have the, uh, uh, I hate to, to, to repeat the word, but you would, you would, would not have the space to recognize this in, uh, in civilian life, um, because the police officer is endowed with, with powers to use violence, as, as I've discussed on a previous podcast, that the police officer uh, is to use a to use a different phraseology is a is a state sanctioned agent of violence. Um, it is it is a person who we uh, we have bequeathed an additional set of rights to the right to use violence, or we we don't call it that. We call it force when it's proportionate, legal, accountable, and necessary, and it's down to the officer. Uh, to make the justifications Im implied in those four words. So that's what policing has provided for me. It's provided me a space 
to to identify this within myself um, and I, th I hope that answers the question uh, so in short hasn't developed was always there um, and policing allowed me to to acknowledge it um, as, as I as I say and as I, as I keep saying um, I would I would be the last person uh, to 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 go and initiate violence against somebody um, out in the street. I mean, that's just the, the, the exact opposite of what what I am. In fact, I would take no enjoyment from that. Uh, I would take. I would. I would feel very uncomfortable uh, with that. It's not something that I that I would ever do. My my the, the type of violence that I engage in. Um, are, and I discussed this in the previous podcast, but for those who haven't listened to that, the type of violence that I engage in it falls into one of two categories. It's either what, what we, what we, or what I call just violence, so violence that is um, that uh, is, is sanctioned within that proportion, legal, accountable, necessary framework. So, uh, example off the top of my head, um, guy in pub fighting somebody. Um, it's it's a it's a just act to take hold of that individual and pull them away from the person they are attacking. And the other, the other category is consensual violence. So when I slap bump with somebody on a jiu-jitsu mat and I try to choke them or, or break a limb in their body or, or, or wait for their tap that would, uh, that would uh, interject a... A submission which of course prevents those things when i do that that's that violence is by consent we both know exactly what's happening there um when that slap bump goes on we know we're about to get the fuck after it so those are the two categories within which i exercise that that desire for violence it's a it's a minefield of a, a of a conversation because i do i I do not want to come across like some fucking moron who is roaming around looking to fight people. Uh, that is that is that is not what I am, and equally, it is not what um, it is not what the people the mother, who are my friends that feel the same way. In fact, it's often it's often discussed when I first began having these types of conversations with people. It's often discussed. In much the same way that I, I don't know, maybe something that was something was that was taboo uh, historically. Maybe perhaps perhaps like um, uh, if you were, if you were gay in the in the you know, 40s or 50s when it was you know unspeakable, um, that you would you know there'd be a sort of a, a very quiet whispered conversation and a, a kind of knowing nod, and you, know, you suddenly realise ah this. This person is like me. There are other, there are other versions of me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not unique um, in this particular way. I am, I belong to something, something, something different, something else. Um, so yeah, that's and you know, it's not, it's not a slim category. <laughs> there, are, there are you're walking to any MMA gym, you will find people who feel exactly the same way. Um, they're just mostly not not police officers, um, so they don't have they don't they don't have that first category I discussed that 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 just violence. Now, of course, consensual violence is just, 
but it's not consensual. Does that make sense? So it's I needed a different label for those two categories. I'm working this stuff out as I go. It's not I'm not submitting a thesis here. So I, I hope that answers your question. But really good, really good question, Nicola. Thank you, thank you so much for that. It made me think, and uh, I'll give you a message after I've uh, after I finish recording this, so you should know ahead of time. And then we'll be in some sort of weird time lapse where I've messaged you, and the podcast is already out, and I've had too much whiskey at this point. Anyway, we'll um, we'll move on. So on the note of the dogs are. Okay. Yeah, you can stay in there. No. You can stay in there. Let's take a sip of this quickly. Uh, should I do this next point? I was going to talk about BJJ and gauntlets within BJJ. Now, of course, I do regard BJJ as within the underneath the umbrella of policing because if you want to um, as per the uh, the previous discussions you're trying to control people physically to remove their liberty you're going to want to think about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu so it's always relevant to policing and there was something I wanted to discuss within it but I think I might given given that we're pushing on for time I think I might leave this till until next time we'll come back to that the gauntlet within BJJ, so the practitioners out there will know what I mean. I've got some thoughts on it. I think I'd like to um, to run them by you, see what you think. But we should move on at this stage to the pocket notebook entry for today. This is about an individual who, individual who we are calling Mr. Ansel. Uh, Mr. Ansel was a, a bail returnee who, um, on the, their return date, the officer in charge of the OIC was not working, so she asked me to go along and do the return. So I've never met Mr. Ansel. I walk into the police front counter, and this happens. Mr. Ansel, is it? Follow me, please. Yes, how do you do? Uh, of course. How do you do? How do you do? I see him only briefly as I about face from the front counter reception towards the custody hold. But I see enough. Like something out of a Dickens novel. A caricature of English. Pointy are the shoes. Crisp is the tie. Long are the tails. I'll get us through to the bridge, and then I'll explain what will be happening from there. And you understand I'm not the OIC. I'm here on her behalf today. Yes, absolutely, officer. I was emailed by PC Ivor. Excellent, and your brief is inside already as I understand it. I press the buzzer to the custody bridge. Yes, sorry, is it going to be possible for me to speak to Mr Chambers prior to our starting? The door beeps, and I hear the snatch of thick metal release inside the lock. We enter the corridor to the holding cells. Yes, certainly, I'll need to present you to the bridge and the, to the custody sergeant first, and then you'll be given as much time as you need with your brief. Ah, oh, that's perfect, thank you. Ah, oh, thanks, Mr Ansel adds, as I hold the door open to the holding cell. We step inside, and I begin filling out the arrival sheet on a plastic clipboard that must not be brought to the bridge, otherwise the universe will implode. Two boxes in, and he starts up again. Oh, please don't feel you need to stand on my part. Do sit down if you need to. I pause. 
Oh yeah, by the way, out of the text for a second, official UK Got Podcast sponsor today, Red Thunder from our colleagues over at Aldi. Make sure to input your code UKCOP at checkout for 20% off 33p is the regular price. So 20%, you do the math, it's an absolute steal. Tastes like petrol. And uh, apparently you can stay up until 4 o'clock in the morning doing podcasts. So can't be that bad. Anyway, back to the text. Uh, I pause. At work, I try when something unexpected happens and there is not an immediate need to react, to not react. Often in this job, the natural human reaction is not the most suitable. Like it or not, policing is an anti-human vocation. I am resisting the use of the word inhuman for connotational reasons that I hope are obvious. There is something paradoxical in this observation because I will often be found saying that the most valuable tool of the copper is his or her grasp of human nature. The ability to know a person's why, to see through their how, and therefore be able to make adjustments to their what is an unrivaled advantage in this job. But let us be clear, that is very different from people skills, which is an overused phrase around this trade. I'm talking about the ability, skill, gift, whatever you want to call it, to cloak your behaviour, language, agenda, in whatever material best suits your purposes. Perhaps not so paradoxical, after all. And further on this, whilst I think of it, when that method reaches its limit, when there is no cloak that will do, the copper must use her only alternative, force. Though not anti-human in itself, the purposes for which force is used are so. Detention, the searching of one's person, the removal of liberty, all by force. These are not natural to the human, and it is contrary to the history of our species for these acts to occur under the sanction of a state. The very concept of a state, of a body, that could legitimise violence in certain contexts, would be alien to the overwhelming majority of our ancestry. For them, violence was proximal, a free-for-all, not something ordained by a collective outside of its occurrence in space and time. And whilst we do exist firmly in in the minority of people who are familiar with the concept of state sanctioned violence or force, The animal that we ride around inside of, the Homo sapien, is not. He does not know that he is exactly the same as the majority noted above, which is why, to circle back around to Mr. Ansel, when you are coppering, your naturally coded reactions are often not optimal. When I'm not in uniform and someone offers me a seat, I react as everyone else does. If I would like to sit down, I smile and thank them and say something like, Oh, that's lovely, thank you. Or, if I do not need to sit down, I will say something like, Oh, that's really good of you, but I'm honestly good standing. I might even add, I've been sat down all day. The latter having limited applicability, but you get the idea. The reaction is warm, and so it should be. Oh, shit. 
she sings. Two seconds. The reaction is warm, and so it should be. Think about what is actually being said. The subtext of being offered a seat is, I want you to be comfortable. And the subtext of which is, I care about your well-being. And the subtext of which is, not to flog this syntax to death. I care about you. But that's not what this is. Mr. Ansel doesn't care about me. I'm the officer doing his return interview. He cannot care about me. He stood in a police holding cell, which, for the uninitiated, is an eight by eight foot box. There's a bench with no back and rounded edges bolted to the floor. CCTV in two opposing corners, again housed in metal cases with rounded edges, and laminated posters in snapshot frames that explain in about 40 different languages the protocol of custody and a detainee's rights therein. On what planet am I ever going to sit down and have a DP who looks like the fella from a series of unfortunate events stand over me? That wouldn't be suitable, I reply, after ten seconds or so of silence. I complete the form and replace the angry clipboard. I assume the default waiting position, both hands to the front of my kit belt, right on the parva, left on the asp. In the hold, I also have a default waiting angle. The door to my immediate left, the DP and bench to my immediate right. So, Mr. Ansel, we'll wait now until the bridge calls us forward, and then I'll be presenting you. It'll be much the same as it was on your initial arrest. Yep, that's all understood. Thank you, officer. I stare ahead, but look, as always, through my peripherals at the DP. Maybe he's got the idea. I catch myself thinking. No such luck, I reply internally, almost immediately. So are you an armed response officer, or, sorry, what is it you do? I'm a response officer. I carry a taser, I nod down to the glaring splodge of yellow on my kit belt, but that's very different to a firearms officer. I respond to all kinds of police incidents, both emergency and non-emergency. Oh, I see. Yeah, I've got a good friend who's over in the West Mids, and he's on armed response. I'll be honest, I lose the thread of what he goes on to say. The vinyl of our conversation screeched to a halt a few sentences ago in my head. Am I armed response? He must know that's not the case. I don't have a gun or anything that looks like a gun. And armed response is a further giveaway because no one has a good friend who are, who's in armed response. People have a good friend who is an AFO, a firearms officer, an ARV, a CTSFO, an SFO. But trust me, there's not one good friend out there who's saying to his good friend, yeah, 
I'm an armed, I'm in armed response. Therefore, he's at best ascribing an estimated job title to someone he knows as an acquaintance or, more likely, bullshitting in full about having any friend in firearms. So why ask then? He's a clever man. Makes money, evidently. Has the car, the house, the dog of someone with an intellectual mouse to deduct that an officer charged with interviewing, interviewing him on a bail return is not also going to be swinging a G36 around. So again, why ask? Could it be, I allow reason to wonder, that he knows the connotations and, dare I say, stereotypes of firearms officers and has further deducted from my demeanour, behaviour and appearance that I might be the type of person who would be who would be complimented by the feigned confusion. See, the thing is, I feel for all of you, he continues. I had to stop it there, I ran out of time writing, um, and I'll, I'll... Oh, Jesus, I just looked down at the phone, I thought it'd, um, I thought it'd stop recording for a minute, then I thought I'd lost loads of, uh, loads of the recording, so I had to stop writing there, because I, I ran out of time, unfortunately, I'll, I'll try and do the rest, uh, ad hoc, um, this guy was a snake of a man, um, I'll just rattle through some of the notes, then I'll, I'll come to the point that I, uh, that I want to make about this particular individual. Um, so he, ca he carries on in much the same vein, uh, this sort of schmoozy, uh, creeping charm that is, um, uh, is gut-wrenching to be subjected to, particularly when I, I know this, what this individual has done, um, He's a he's a domestic violence perpetrator, um, and he, he's of course he's legally innocent at this time. Uh, but please rest assured, there is a mountain of evidence uh, against him, and he has done some horrendous things to his ex-wife. Um, I'll just give you a couple of other examples that. Um, so he get, well, all the time we're in the hold he goes on in this vein he starts talking about how he, you know, he feels for officers so they don't get the recognition they deserve and just sheer bollocks basically that he's coming out with and then we go through to the bridge and I present him obviously his detention's authorised and explain right we're going to further interview him and um, as, the, as the detention officer or jailer, as they used to be called. Why on earth have we ever got rid of that name? That's beyond me. Jailer, what a brilliant name. So, as the uh, as the detention officer is booking in his property, he opens the Mister Ansel's wallet, and they they, as you know, they take everything out of the wallet individually and log it into the property individually. And as he's bagging it up, the the, de the, the detention officer. This Mr. Ansel leans forward and says, Oh, so sorry. Um, just, you know, it's a small thing, but just to help you out, there's there's something else in there. Um, and he says, Just open that compartment, and there's a load of other, there's some um, 
foreign currency in it. And that phrase leapt out at me. Yeah, just, it's just to help you out. So that went in a little black book as well. And then as the sergeant was doing the risk assessment questions with him, you know, have you got any concerns about your mental health, your self-harm, you ever a member of the armed forces, all this sort of stuff. He's going for he's he's answering her before she's finished every question. And um he says that he says the phrase it'll all be no several times, it'll all be no. He's he was trying to to He's trying to infer to that custody sergeant that I am not a problem. I'm going to be uh, the, the, the smoothest, the, the most squeaky clean uh, person you have through here today. Can't you tell by my three-piece suit and tailed coat and all this other bollocks? Um, another thing, when I, was, I, I did the search, there wasn't a detention officer free to do the search. So I did the search, took his shoes off, all the usual stuff. And he, constantly ask my permission can I sorry can I move that can I put them back on now yeah you can put your shoes back on mate um and the entire episode was essentially him trying to gain leverage over me over the custody staff over the sergeant and it was a it was a sickening experience um and I was uh, I, I called um the the officer who is in charge of the case. Uh, I call her in this uh, PC Iver. So I call PC Iver, and um, said so she so she was she was actually on duty, but was unable to. She, like, I had a double commitment effectively, and asked me to go along to this. So I called her up and said, "You free? You know, free to speak, mate." And uh, she said to me, "Did you feel it working?" And instantly. I knew what she meant because the worst thing about this whole episode was when he was saying stuff to me and talking about how he feels sorry for police officers and yeah I'm sorry you arm response are you and when uh, talking about you know I really admire the job you do etc etc I could even with everything I know with all that knowledge on board with the fact that I know exactly what this individual has done I've seen the sheet, I know the warnings, I've read the intelligence, I understand the history. Even with all of that on board, I could still feel it working. I could feel this eerie charm piercing into me. I could feel myself starting to initiate in pleasant conversation with him. Now, I don't mind engaging in pleasant conversation if it's part of a game. No problem there, no problem at all. If we're trying to stick somebody on, and in order to facilitate that objective, going back to that cloak analogy I was using previously, if we're trying to do that, that is no problem. I, I've not got an issue doing that. What I've, what, what I've got an issue with, what I found difficult to deal with, is the fact that it was involuntary on my part. I was talking to him as if I was exchanging with somebody I liked, somebody I respected, and I catch myself doing it in the moment. And that that catching of myself was my was myself feeling it working, and that is what uh, my colleague PC Iver said to me. Did you feel it working? It's something she's evidently experienced herself, and it made me think. Made me think about how dangerous this individual is. Um, think about somebody who doesn't know any of the information that I know, 
Think about somebody who meets this bloke down the supermarket uh, who is a Christmas party, is you know, on a dating app, anything. Um, this is a lethal individual because he he was able to he was not he was not able I could I could feel the pull of this individual's will over me um, and of course he he knows the game he knows that I'm going to be interviewing him and um, the, the the game is simple corrupt my um, my perspective on him. And the interview will be easier for him. It was... It was worrying how good he was at this. And it was... And equally... It was worrying how... It... It seemed, at least for the first few words I'd say back to him, involuntary on my part. He was so persistent, so uh, calculated that I, I would, I would catch myself in the moment. You're doing it again. You're engaging with this person, and you don't. This, the, the plan is is not to. Um, and it made me realise actually. I've just got a note uh, here. There's a stormtrooper. I much prefer when the DP does not want to talk to me. I'm that that is that is tenfold better than this for me when they just can't stand the sight of me and they want to get in and get this over with as quickly as possible and they just sit on that bench and even if they're being abusive to me I just maintain that waiting position keep my peripherals on and essentially behave as if I've got a stormtrooper helmet on and I offer zero interaction that for me is unendingly preferable to this bizarre witchcraft that this guy was deploying it was um, very strange to experience and the the important the important element here is that um, I had a job to do in that interview and that was put new evidence to him and, and make him account for it uh, because we suspect him to be guilty of xyz offenses um and in order to do that i had to see him for what what he was um and we as as police officers we are required to do that uh, we um we must be guarded against this type of individual uh who can who, who can uh, co-opt the ego in these moments and and wield it in the surface of his own agenda and the, the the greatest example uh, that we could have um, for doing so, uh, the the exemplar for us to follow, would be that man who uh, who saw straight through the Nazi tyranny. He saw exactly what that man Hitler was. He saw. He had what. Um, what Orwell called uh, a power of facing unpleasant facts. Uh, Orwell actually spoke about that with reference to himself. He was one of. Um, uh, he's quite. He's, he's a, he, you rarely find him being immodest, but that is perhaps um, 
perhaps flirting with immodesty when, when Orwell says that, but it is absolutely true uh, that Orwell had a, a phenomenal power of facing unpleasant facts, and that was something that, that Churchill had, uh, particularly with regards to uh, the Nazi rule. Um, he saw that for what it was, um, and of course, I'm making, <laughs> I'm making no comparison whatsoever uh, with me interviewing some creepy domestic violence perpetrator uh, to Winston Churchill. I'm, what, I'm, what I'm saying here is that um, he sets an example for seeing things for what they are um, and having the courage to combat those those uh, those those forces of darkness in the world uh, with the with, with the uh, with the appropriate relish. Um, and, I, and I hope uh, I was able to um, to live up to that example uh, on that day. We, we shall see. We don't know. Don't know what's happening yet uh, with that job. But it was a um, it was a bizarre experience. Um, never, I've never come across someone with the um, with the level of ability that he had. Very eerie. I don't quite know if I've got it over in the in the text. Uh, it was this stuff I write on the fly as it happens. Sometimes after the shift, it's not. This is not something I'm combing back over. You know, this is not a this is not a university essay submission or a or a or a you know short informational pamphlet I'm writing. This is stuff that is just ad hoc off the fly, scribbled down on my phone. Uh, so. I do apologise if I, if the strength of my conveyance isn't uh, isn't isn't marrying up with the uh, with the with the talking that I've done after I've after I've read through it. But hey ho, uh, we we or I can but try. I think we are we are just about there now. That is everything I wanted to to cover today. The the outro uh, with uh, with the music on. I will do later on today so it's now 4 15 in the morning um for obvious reasons i can't be firing up a a docking station speaker with a with a, with some gangster rap at this time in the morning so um i will i'll be doing that tomorrow and i'll put this podcast together and we should be out later on today wednesday the 10th of feb um so i'll take a brief break now or at least it'll be a brief break for you and uh I will uh, I'll leave it to the outro thanks guys and I'm back in so for me it is the next day and the uh, the house is in full swing the boys are up terrorising the living room as per normal Mrs UK Got Podcast is out committed to other duties and uh, I am here concluding things I hope you've enjoyed it this week folks uh, it's the longest podcast I've done uh, by quite some margin. I think the the longest prior to this was an hour long. Uh, this one, uh, an hour and, and forty minutes. I think we we're around that time, maybe forty five with this with this outro bolted on. Um, the usual housekeeping to finish with. Uh, best way you can support the podcast at the moment is to uh, like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, tell people about it. Word of mouth seems to be the uh, the best way to get the podcast. Out and about, dudes. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be three minutes on this. Three minutes, okay. That that is it. Um, 
Yeah, I know it's boring. I know. I know it's boring. Um, yeah, like, share, subscribe. I'm on Instagram, UK Cop Podcast. There's dots between the words. Just search UK Cop Podcast if you've not found me on there. Um, I think that is about everything. So without further ado, we should do this outro. I've got a tune. This is the live version of Watchtower. Uh, Ed Sheeran, Devlin, uh, whose who's song it is, and, and Labyrinth is in this version as well. So, my friends, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you putting the time in. As I say, longest podcast we've done. I hope it was a productive discussion for you. Look after each other. Stay safe. Keep sallying forth against the agents of evil. I love you all. Thank you for coming. Bye-bye now. Right, boys, let's eat.